You may be seated. And when you are, please open up your Bibles to the book of Romans. We are in the 14th chapter. We're getting toward the end of this book. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14, the first 12 verses. And this whole section on Romans has been an extended commentary on the command of Jesus that we love one another. In chapter 12, we saw that the nature of love was to serve. And in chapter 13, we discovered that love must be submissive. And now in chapter 14, we're going to learn that love must be patient and tolerant of other people's views. With that introduction, let's read God's word. I'd remind you that it is inspired. These are God's words through the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess, shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And here ends the reading of God's word. Let's come to him in prayer and ask for his help. Lord, I have commented before your people that hearing sermons is hard work. Lord, we do pray that you would help us. You know that our minds wander. You know the pressures that we face. And yet, Lord, our desire is to hear from you. And so we do pray that you would help us to hear your word and to hear it preached and we do pray that you would help us to take the things that we hear and to be able to identify and to be able to see 
how these things that are said can apply to us and our lives and the things that we face. Oh Lord, give us direction, we pray. Help us to hear you. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever struggled with back pain? If you've ever struggled with back pain, and I'm speaking specifically of lower back pain, you know that it can hit you uh, from out of nowhere. You're just sitting there, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, it strikes. I remember one time being at work, and a coworker of mine had to call my wife to come get me. I was paralyzed there in a chair, trying not to move, kind of... Uh, Shaking, the pain was uh, so intense at times I was beginning to sweat and I was wondering how I was gonna make it from the, the chair there out to uh, my car. Uh, the muscles, again, the muscles in my back were cramping and um, they uh, were spasming. The muscles in our bodies are supposed to work together but when they stop working with one another, you can't function. You become incapacitated. You need time, you need time really to lay down and to relax. If you can just get your muscles to relax, your body will start functioning in the right way. But until then, you're laid out. Well, we see something similar in our text as Paul talks about life in the church. He wants Christians to be able to relax and function well with one another. If you look at verses three and four, you'll see that Paul wants Christians to refrain from passing judgment on one another and to cultivate a spirit of acceptance and understanding. In that sense, to relax. Take it easy. Take it easy. As Paul begins chapter 14, he urges us to welcome believers with differing convictions, with differing opinions. We learn that he wants us to welcome each other with love. That's our first heading. Welcome each other with love. Have you ever put together one of those 500-piece puzzles? If so, you, uh, if you're like me anyways, you know what you do. You open up the box, you find a table, you clear the table, you pour out the pieces onto the table, then you spread out the pieces so no pieces are on top of the other pieces, then you flip them all over so they're right side up. Maybe you sort them a little, put the blue ones here, the green ones here, and so forth. You get everything in order, you put uh, the box in front of you so that you can begin um, so that you could begin assembling the pieces. Well, we, we have something of a similar situation on our hands. There's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we're gonna need to get in order here before we can begin to make sense of this text. So let's start by reading the first two verses and then I'll give you the background so that we could begin to make sense of things. In verse one, Paul writes, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. 
The church in Rome was divided into two groups, the weak and the strong. The weaker brother or sister trusted in Jesus for their salvation, but they lacked spiritual maturity. Their consciences were in error and they needed their consciences to be instructed by the word of God. They needed to learn what the Bible has to say about various topics. They needed to change and grow. It appears that the weaker Christians felt bound to continue keeping the Old Testament food laws. But you can see from the text that the weak Christians ate only vegetables. Why is that? If you're a student of the word, you know that the food laws didn't command that uh, people eat only vegetables. Well, it's likely they came to this conclusion because it was so difficult to be sure that the meat was kosher in Rome. So they concluded that all Christians should abandon meat altogether. Now, the strong Christians understood that the dietary laws of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. They would have remembered places like Mark chapter 7, where Jesus said, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then there's this little parenthetical comment in the text. It says, thus, he declared all foods clean. You could find that in Mark chapter 7, verses 14, 15, in particular, uh, 19 for that parenthetical comment. You see, the problem with the weaker brother or sister was their inability to accept the changes that Jesus brought. Their consciences needed strengthening. They needed instruction. Do you remember Peter in Acts chapter 10? You remember there's a sheet, and on the sheet there's different kinds of food that are lowered in this vision. Some of the animals that are on this sheet are unclean, right? And the Lord says to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. How does he respond? He says, by no means, Lord. Peter knew Jesus' teaching, but he struggled to accept it. Certain things take a while for people to embrace. The Jews had been taught to view their calendars in a certain way and to abstain from certain foods for centuries. And these habits and attitudes were hard for them to change. Let's look at our text again, beginning at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. You're going to meet people in the church that have different opinions than yours. And you're going to meet them, Christians, uh, online in that way too, right? Maybe you've met some of them. They have different opinions than yours. 
And that is okay. It's okay. Some of you have been believers for decades. Others of you are brand new. We're in different places in our understanding. We're in different places regarding our spiritual maturity. And because of that, we might be holding on to differing convictions. For instance, you might meet someone who was recently converted to Christianity from Islam or Hinduism, and they may have a history with certain dietary practices that makes it difficult for them to embrace the dietary practices of Christians. The Bible says, welcome them. Welcome them. You who are strong, be patient. Be loving. Don't be condescending, and it's hard sometimes, especially when you're being attacked. But be patient, be loving. Don't despise your brother or sister who need to grow in their biblical understanding and their spiritual maturity. Don't despise Christians who have a narrower view of morality than you. Pray for them. Pray for the well-being of the church. Isn't that what the Psalms tell us? Pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. On the other hand, because the weak are inclined towards judgmentalism, they're told not to pass judgment on meat-eaters. The weak can be tempted to condemn the strong for their more flexible conscience. There could be a temptation towards self-righteousness and a condemning spirit. Maybe a sense that they need to convert you, right, to all of their scruples. Verse 4 asks, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant or of another It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. You see, both the weak and the strong, despite their differences in convictions, are genuine servants of the Lord. And if we are all servants of the Lord, who are we to despise one of the Lord's servants? If the Lord has accepted that servant, who are you, who am I to not accept them? That's the point. You see, Paul is urging us to adopt a posture of humility and understanding that goes beyond our differences in convictions or our weaknesses. Our unity in Christ should cause us to accept the diversity present in non-essential matters. Paul's encouraging us to extend grace and understanding in areas that don't compromise our core beliefs. This brings us to our next principle. Acknowledge the diversity in non-essentials. That's our second heading. Acknowledge the diversity in non-essentials. One thing that I've come to love about Indianapolis is that there's all kinds of internationals in this 
city. And many of you have given me an opportunity to meet some of these internationals. And as I've act, interacted with uh, many of them, I've learned about the different foods that are out there and the different dress and the different way of dancing and even the different annual celebrations that each culture embraces. Now, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. It's a big city filled with all kinds of internationals. And the church was made up of people from a variety of different backgrounds, each with their own traditions. And similar to the issue of food, there was a disagreement over certain days that people wanted to recognize. Consider verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. It's likely that the Jewish Christians in Rome were struggling to let go of the annual feast that they had always observed. You know, there were seven of them, and three of them, every male, was required to go to Jerusalem. And maybe you can sympathize with them to a degree. You know how it is, those, those special days of the year when we get together with family. A lot of times you see friends and family that you haven't seen all year. And you're there and you're enjoying food with them. Maybe you're playing uh, games with them. You're catching up. Uh, it's a great feast. It's a great, it's one of the best times of the year. There's emotional ties there. And even though these traditions, these feasts were no longer required by the Christian community, some of them as a matter of conscience continued those practices. And here, while not endorsing the ongoing observance of the Old Testament feast days, Paul extends grace. He extends grace, providing time for people to grow and to learn and to mature. We need, we need to learn from this. Patience, understanding, love. If you, would draw, if you draw your attention to the second sentence in verse five, you'll notice that Paul says that each of us should be fully convinced in his own mind. He's saying that each person needs to obey their conscience. That is, they must do what they believe, what they truly and sincerely believe to be morally right. We shouldn't attempt to force someone to go against their conscience, even if their convictions are uninformed. For example, if a brother or sister thinks that drinking a glass of wine is a sin, you shouldn't try to coax them into drinking a glass of wine. You see, that would be an attempt to entice them to violate their conscience. And the violation of one's conscience, even if it's mis a misinformed conscience, is a serious, serious matter. We need to use caution with this matter of conscience, don't we? 
We need to exercise wisdom and love. We need to be careful that the weaker brother doesn't destroy our freedom with his misinformed conscience. And at the same time, we need to be willing to temporarily let go of some of our freedom out of consideration for our weaker brother. This is why it's so, so, so important that each of us is working to inform our consciences. Our conscience needs to be shaped and molded by the word of God. It doesn't just come to you that way default. Everything you intuit and believe doesn't happen to just be right. It needs to be instructed by the word of God. You can instruct your conscience, of course, through reading the Bible. You should be doing that. Read the Bible. You can also read good books or listen to audio books. And there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sermons out there. Find teachers and preachers that speak to your soul and listen to good sermons. Allow them to shape your conscience. Sermon Audio boasts over a million sermons and lectures all free. Martin Lloyd-Jones has all of his messages online. You can hear them for free. Legionnaire Ministries is a great place to hear fantastic, some of the most gifted preachers and teachers the Lord has raised up to tell you and teach you things in a simple way. Avail yourselves of these things. The point is, instruct your conscience with the truth of God's word. It's vital. It's vital. It'll help you to be able to discern what truths are essential and which are non-essentials. We have to beware of thinking that everything is of equal importance. That's the problem some of our weaker brothers have, isn't it? They hit everything the same. It might be helpful for you to think about three basic levels of importance. There are matters essential to salvation. These are not, not negotiable. And then there are matters that are important to the faith and to the church, but aren't essential for salvation. And then at the bottom, there are matters of indifference. Non-essentials that are a matter of preference. In verse 6, you see that Paul points the Romans past their differences to the common ground they shared, belonging to their Lord and their mutual desire to honor him. Draw your attention to verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Christians should be living in a way that demonstrates that their primary concern is to honor the Lord with their lives. 
if both the weak and strong believers are genuinely seeking to honor the Lord, they should refrain from criticizing and condemning one another. Paul's encouraging us to recognize the diverse convictions regarding non-essentials and to recognize that they can coexist when they're motivated by a sincere desire to honor God. And as the text continues, he, that is Paul, unfolds what it means to entrust our lives to the lordship of Christ, which brings us to our third heading, entrust to the lordship of Christ. Entrust to the lordship of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I can be and do get um, discouraged by the disunity that I see uh, in our nation. Uh, And to tell you the truth, I've been a little bit apprehensive about 2024 because I know that this is an election year. And it seems like whenever we're in an election year, Our division is on display more than ever. And that makes me think of 9-11. You might think, well, that's weird. (laughs) But hear me out. It makes me think of 9-11, September 11, 2001. If you're old enough to remember September 11, then you might remember the incredible, the incredible unity that we experienced shortly after the attacks. It was amazing. It was like nothing I have ever seen or experienced. The bickering and backbiting was gone. It was gone. Even the news media were all on the same page. The division was gone. I never experienced anything like that as a citizen. We were so united. We were united because we recognized that we belonged to the same nation. Well, our text points us to the foundation of Christian unity. In verses 7 and 8, Paul reminds us that we belong to the same Lord. In those moments of national unity after 9-11, we recognized our shared identity as citizens Similarly, as Christians, our true identity is anchored in belonging to the same Lord, in belonging to Jesus. Consider verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Christians belong to the Lord. Whether we live or die, our primary allegiance, all of our primary allegiance is to the Lord. If we live, our lives should be dedicated to serving and honoring the Lord. That's right. Your life should be dedicated to serving and honoring the Lord. You were bought with the price. And if we die, even in death, we belong to the Lord. The Christian life should be one of complete devotion and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. 
That means you shouldn't live for your own self-interest, but for the interests of Christ, the one who died and rose, that he might be Lord over all. Whether in life or death, Christ owns us. Therefore, the Lord expects us to conduct ourselves in a way that pleases him. Draw your attention to verse 9. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Paul asserts that Christ died and rose again, not only to secure the salvation of believers, but also with the specific purpose of being Lord over both the living and the dead. His lordship extends over all, whether they are alive or deceased. The death and resurrection of Christ are pivotal, not only for individual salvation, but also for establishing his reign as Lord over the entire realm of existence, both the living and those that have passed away. Jesus is Lord over all. The Roman Christians were attempting to impose their views on each other regarding disputable matters. In response, Paul advocates for freedom, urging both groups to submit to the lordship of Jesus and to entrust judgment to the Lord alone. In verse 10, Paul asks, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Notice that Paul uses the word brother twice in this text. He's highlighting the unity between the weak and the strong Christians. Their family, their brothers, they share the same Lord. Essentially, Paul is saying, you weak, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And you strong, why do you look down with contempt on your brother? And then Paul reminds us that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. We're ultimately accountable to God, not to one another's imperfect standards of judgment. And we should be grateful for that. In verse 11, Paul quotes Isaiah 45, 23 to highlight the judgment of God at the end of history. He says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. And then he reiterates his point in verse 12, writing, so then each of us will give account, give an account of God or of himself to God. If you're like me and you're looking at this text, you can see that sometimes um, you are the one uh, who is weak or described here as weak and sometimes you're the one who is strong. Sometimes being judgmental, other times being condescending. It's crucial, it's crucial to be open to the Holy Spirit's conviction and guidance as you reflect on your attitudes and actions. 
As believers, we share the same Lord and are accountable to God. Striving to approach fellow believers with love and understanding regardless of differing convictions. That's the direction we're given here. We need to focus on pleasing God rather than imposing judgments on others. And in moments of self-awareness where you recognize patterns of behavior that are described in this text, bring these concerns before God in prayer. Seek his help in transforming your heart and actions and let the Holy Spirit guide you to become more like Christ. In Romans 14, Paul directs believers to refrain from passing judgment on one another. He encourages the cultivation of a spirit of acceptance and understanding that's grounded in the recognition of each individual being accountable to God. Paul urges us to embrace fellow believers with differing convictions, fostering a spirit of love and conviction. He reminds us of the importance of recognizing and respecting diverse convictions on non-essential matters, emphasizing grace and patience towards one another. We learn that our unity as believers stems from our shared allegiance to the same Lord, Our primary focus should be on honoring the Lord with our lives and trusting our differences to his sovereign lordship. As you navigate, as you navigate the tension between the weak and strong, acknowledge your need for humility. Submit to the Holy Spirit's guidance and approach fellow believers with love. Remember Your righteousness is found in the perfect Savior. He alone is worthy of your devotion. Let us as a united body fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus, recognizing that every knee and every uh, mouth will confess him as Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we would come before you uh, first in confession, Lord, acknowledging that we have been the weaker brother or sister at times and we have been in the place of the stronger brother or sister at times. We'd ask that you would forgive us. Lord, we do pray that you would give us each patience and understanding Sometimes, Lord, it is very difficult to interact with one another. Lord, you know that we are all sinners and broken and oftentimes selfish and self-centered. Lord, help us to learn. We pray that you would shape each one of our consciences and that they would reflect your word. Lord, help us. We pray that you would give us understanding and that you would give us patience and love and wisdom. Lord, we need it. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.